Hello and welcome to The Fourth Fall. I am your host this evening, Ryan Heath, and we are talking about the host. There are two hosts going on tonight. I have got with you Mr. Isaac Kidd. Hello, I'm the guest of the host of the host. <laughs> I've also got with you Mr. Matt Gower tonight. And I'm the guest of this honour, apparently. You certainly are, sir. And gentlemen, have you seen the host of the 2006 monster epic from Boon Jong Ho before? Sorry, sorry, you mixed up. You mixed up his two. His two. Oh, he said Boom John Ho. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, it's just fine. Oh. I keep it. Bong Jun Ho. Bong Jun Ho. Bong Jun Ho. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Now this film I watched when I was a wee a wee young man. Um, back in back in Ipswich at the, the tender age of twelve, I picked it up from a HMV. Um and I think I, I must have given it to a parent um, or an older sibling to buy because I think it was a 15 um, when I bought it and I was obviously too young, but um, I loved it. I thought it was an interesting movie and I wanted to bring it back from the past, bring my experience back from the past and talk about it for you guys now because obviously the director has become uh, known for his, I think it was his seventh most popular film, Parasite, but this is an earlier work. Uh, this is 2006, so it is, you know, over 10 years old now. And I want to talk about it. I want to discuss goldfish. I want to discuss pollution. I want to discuss the virus, protests, distrust. Um, and I want to know what you thought, because I don't think you'd seen it before. Am I, am I right, Isaac? That's correct. I've not watched this film. This was the first few. I watched it, yeah. I watched it in one sitting. Um, I didn't know what to expect. And uh, from, from the first scene... Uh, it is. It's just one of those sci-fi flicks where you're just in for the ride. You believe the world. The characters are funny, and yeah, ultimately, it's it's a it's a pandemic film. It's a film about a pandemic. It is. You've forgotten about, and it was quite topical. And I didn't actually choose it um, because we're in a pandemic. I didn't choose it because of that reason. Like. Oh my god, they're wearing masks. So let's talk you about the masks. I wanted to be the host. With the host. I wanted to be the hostess with the mostess, and uh, tonight I can be. So thank you for uh, thank you for letting me live out my dream. Um, Matt, have you seen? Had you seen this film prior to me um, slapping it on you? So I was a hundred percent sure I had, but the further I got into the film, the less I remembered it. So right. I don't know if I watched it so long ago that I can't remember any of it, yeah, yeah, or yeah. I watched it at uni when there was a lot of other things in my system that made me forget a lot of the content that I consumed. Yeah, lots of sugar. Or I just started it and fell asleep. Interesting. So technically, I'm going to say this was my first view. This is a blank slate. This is tabula rasa for you then. This was a... It was an absolute tabula rasa for me. Well done. I love a good John Locke reference. Thank you very much. That was a very quick Matt Gow's philosophy caller. <laughs> um, so we start the film off with... <clears throat> So there's a family, dysfunctional family, um, which I'm starting to think is maybe a feature of um, Bong Joon-ho's work. And they uh, they live in a kiosk, which is, or at least or at least three of them, three of them live in a kiosk. We've got a protagonist um, who is named uh, Park Gang-do, and he's kind of a dim-witted father to a daughter, Hyung So. And there's a granddad also living there, and his name is Hee Bong. And we've also got uh, a Olympic archer in the family, a sister who's kind of referenced on television, um, but doesn't appear till later on in the movie, uh, who's uh, Namju. 
And we've also got a brother, uh, Nam Il, who is an alcoholic and arrives a little bit later on as well. Um, but we start the film off with obviously a little bit of introduction, a little bit of kind of setting the scene. Um, but we just get hit with a monster attack straight away. Bam. There is a kind of a, very, a sense of a sense of pace, I guess, from from the outset. I'd forgotten how much they revealed of the monster before um, before most kind of, I guess, monster kaiju films would do. I think it was almost quite interesting that they've... It's like 15 minutes in yeah. when it first appears out of the water. In, in daylight as well. Like yeah. It's not even like a it's not even like a dimly lit sort of shot. Um, I love that fade at the beginning from from the bottles of uh, what is it? Paint stripper oh, or something? Ma- no, no, Oh my god, imagine how many mutate goldfish well, there'd that- be if paint stripper caused radioactive mutation. That'd be brilliant. <laughs> That's what I love about the uh, opening bit when Herschel from Walking Dead is like, oh, it's just a couple of bottles of formaldehyde and, you know, how big is the River Han? It's not, it's just going to be diluted in that. Just and then you see him bottles. pouring it down and it pans across and it's like fucking hundreds of that them. Pan across. Hundreds of them. That, and it's all steaming. Like, and, oh, yeah. I loved it. That's me, but that was, that was the height of the, the sci-fi aspect of this film. And then and then it pans across and then it just fades into the Han River. And it's mm. just like that's how you tell stories. You don't you don't say this is happening, you just show it and hello. Bam. That's what that's the importance of cinema. They do the really cool thing where like the next scene is the two fishermen in I think it's two thousand and two <laughs> where they see it, they like they catch it when yeah. it's a baby. Yeah. They catch it and they kind of like look at it and they're disgusted and they throw it yeah. away. Um, it's mutated. How many tails did that thing have? <laughs> yeah, they throw it away, and then it's 2006, and it's a it's a big chongus. Now. It's a big one. It's a big boy. Um, it's interesting with this film because there's obviously a lot of themes, um, and we'll talk about a little bit uh, a little bit more of them. Um, obviously, and we've mentioned the virus and the kind of idea of a pandemic and the idea of like a foreign invasion um, in the form of kind of biological uh, in the biological form. Um, but I definitely got a big old class uh, commentary sort of thing running through this. That's what I got from this film. Did you guys feel that too? Mm, I'll be honest, no. I think there's a couple of lines, and I think Bon Juno is very good at doing this, where he can just have like one line that just sums up the sentiment of the entire film. You think about Parasite, the bit where um, the mother of the rich family is saying oh we've got them from america like this thing that she's like paid money for for this party and she's just like oh yeah we're getting them from america mm. and that just sums up the entire commentary of the film which is yeah. this encroaching western capitalism mm. this idea of like needing to be needing to appropriate western values to be affluent yeah be deemed successful and yeah um, and so I, I noticed a couple of those bits, especially with the the drunken, the alcoholic, unemployed college student, who's like a protester. There's a line where he says, oh, "Fuck, what is he?" Oh, that, that's it. I I brought democracy into this country, or I helped with the creation of democracy into this country, and now they won't even give me a fucking job. Oh yeah, bam. Bong Joon. I think that's sort of based on Bong Joon Ho. Because I saw an interview with him once where he talks about when he was at university, protesting was like the, obviously the uh, the character in the film is used to be a 
big political protester. And he said that, yeah, protesting was just part of his everyday life. He was like, you go, you have breakfast, you go to protest, you go to your lectures, you eat dinner, go protest again, you come back, you get the newspaper, you see a picture of yourself at the protest. <laughs> it was just like, that was part of your, your everyday life. Yeah, it, operates, it would operate as a social circle as well, wouldn't it? It makes sense. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting with, with protesting and how how protests have changed over the last year or two and how the idea of protest would has seemed quite divisive. Um, and, you know, um, I think you, it does definitely hint that uh, in this film towards the end. But, um, yeah, I understand what you mean. It's definitely not as, like, the, the idea of class isn't as potent in this film as it obviously is in Parasite. It's like that's kind of like the whole sort of commentary going on. I think maybe what I talk about when I talk about class, I really sort of I'm, I'm talking about family. I'm talking about a lower income dysfunctional family, maybe, um, which is essentially at the core of this film. Um, and although the monster is a huge part of it, um, I'd argue that maybe it's not as big as you kind of might think. Yeah, the the family are a very, like you said, a very dysfunctional family, which I always like seeing in a, in a film, but. And they're they're very larger than life, but they're still quite real. Even though they they are kind of caricatures, you can just sort of say, "Oh yeah, it's the very professional one. It's the very unprofessional one. It's the dim-witted, lazy one. It's the father who's trying to keep them all together." You know, you can just put them into those boxes, but they they have heart, they have soul. They're in soul. Uh, I just think, yeah, I, I think. You know, they're very good. They're very good. I think the, yeah, the actors are brilliant. The main character, Park. Oh, he's a fantastic actor, isn't he? He's he's the dad Park in Gang Parasite, Do, isn't the, he? The, the guy that plays Park Gang-do, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he is, yeah. Song Kang-ho, the actor. He's down on his luck. Can we just films, talk about, I know we, we shouldn't, we will definitely do one on Parasite eventually, but obviously Parasite, first foreign language film to win a Best Picture Oscar. Very important, definitely the best wow. film that year. Not a single fucking one of them got nominated for best actor or actress, and they were the best performances in film I mm. saw that year. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't thought I didn't thought about that. It won a lot of the kind of large, over like sort of wide reaching, yeah. maybe not wide reaching, but yeah, the categories that kind of just lump it lump it as an experience into like one thing, like best picture. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, they they don't yeah. understand and screenplay. I, think I think we we can't. Yeah. The it was for a Western audience, I think. Parasite. I think that actually no, that might have been the one before. I think um, Antonio Banderas was nominated for the Pain and Glory, the Pedro Amaldivar film, which I still haven't seen. But that's a that's entirely in foreign language. I'm pretty sure he was nominated for best actor, but that might not have been that year. But there's definitely been actors in yeah nominated I mean, for foreign you, films. Yeah, usually performance wise it's it's like a standout character isn't it the film might not even be very good but it's it's usually a heart on the line performance yeah 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 they they're all so good in that i wouldn't know how, who to pick we've talked about the revenant haven't we and with and with dicaprio's nomination being like more of a symbolic thing um which makes sense here you go yeah just here you go mate you've been you've been here for a while go on <laughs> i think parasite won like the best cast award at I think maybe the SAG AFTRA awards or maybe the screen actor the screenwriters or screen actors awards something um 
something like that. It won like an ense- best ensemble performance. Yeah. Mm. So this mm. film, this film, um, the host, is is uh, is very crit- critical on American culture, specifically American culture. It doesn't necessarily say the West. It literally has uh, the American army uh, involved in its plot. Yeah. Um, and a lot of references to um, America. Do you, do you think that's that's obviously how the filmmaker was feeling at the time? Um, is that is that a historical thing with with um, career in itself and and maybe yeah maybe have they influenced or have been influenced in the past by those ideal, ideals? I guess with South Korea, you've got you've got the there was an American presence and there probably still is an American presence in South Korea. Um, Whereas there was a Russian presence in um, in North Korea for a long time um, until until they kind of became split and they became more independent over time. Um, but I know that obviously South Korea's <clears throat> South Korea Seoul in particular is like a metropolis and it's you know they have smart cities. They it's the sixth most expensive place to live in the world, Seoul, um, which is quite interesting. Um, so yeah, I think they definitely have obviously have a bit of a fraught, fraught and historical sort of relationship with America, um, which is quite interesting. As do a lot of nations, you know, through through media as well. You don't have to be occupied by America to be occupied by America. True that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's mainly a comment on like America's disregard for uh, uh, dis- disregard and disrespect for other countries whilst they're in it. Mm, mm. Oh yeah, because obviously the opening of the film was based on a true story, which I think happened in two thousand. Okay, I'll get my time traveling self to double check, and if <laughs> I'm wrong, send him he in. will come in and fact check. I'll send him in. Um, but yeah, it's this like you know, well, it's not my country. I don't give a fuck. Yeah, and then all of the news reports you see, like the uh, when they're saying the UN and the World Health Organization are blaming. Korea's handling of the situation, even though it was them who started the situation. One, they're blaming them on a situation that isn't yeah. existing. They're yep. blaming them on a virus. Yeah. And yeah, and, yeah, and then they're saying that um, it's their mishandling of this creature, which they created inadvertently, is their fault. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting. Like They've definitely got a lot of references to... They use something called Agent Yellow. Yeah, you know when they're basically doing the kind of I guess they're doing fumigation and they're trying to get rid of the virus that this monster has kind of supposedly brought to um, humanity through contact because um, the daughter the, the daughter gets kidnapped by the monster um, early on, um, and before being able to kind of get her back and even knowing if she's still alive, the family they get taken to a quarantine zone um, and they find out about this Agent Yellow and. It's obviously referencing Agent Orange, isn't it? The yes, the herbicidal uh, agent that was used in the Vietnam War, which is really, really fucked up. What happened with that? Mm. I think it was like a huge percentage of um, children of soldiers, uh, both American and Vietnamese, who had like a significant increase in birth defects yeah. after yeah, yeah, Agent yeah. Orange. I didn't know that, yeah. So yeah, it was quite interesting that they'd used that like really kind of blatant reference to um an American mistake, an American attack, an American a lasting American attack um in Asia. 
I I read that it, this is this film is actually very popular in North Korea, and obviously there's a very tense relationship between those two countries. They normally, don't, and especially North Korea, don't usually care about what South Korea have got going on. No, I think I don't think you'd call them friends, would you? I think no, I think they're friendly. <laughs> but apparently, they really love this film because of how critical of America it is. Uh, yeah, interesting. Yeah. It's like, oh, we've got that. We've got that common ground. Let's all get together. Yeah, yeah. I, I suppose it could be used, couldn't it, as a way of a way of entertaining, but also like spreading propaganda if they twisted it in a certain way. Um, which is yeah. interesting. I don't, yeah, I wouldn't say it's like an incredibly propagandist film and that it's all critical of America. It's also very critical of South Korean government and their oh, ineptitude, yeah. which I think it seems to be prevalent in pretty much any government, no matter which country you're in. This sort of lame bureaucracy that fails to do anything. Yeah. I mean, we can certainly attest to that. <laughs> you look at Taiwan, which has got another island nation, same. Um, I think the density of Taiwan is three times as much as the UK. Eight deaths they've had of coronavirus. They've had eight deaths. Eight. That's crazy. It's interesting, prefer- though, isn't it? Because. Sorry, what are you going to say, Isaac? Well, if if uh, Taiwan's on... Um, I will have to fact-check that. Yeah, it, and, the and pop thing back is, in. Yeah, the thing is, ta- Taiwan itself is uh, not in this uh, meridian line. I think, I think it's like a temperature curve, and it kind of... Um, so Wuhan has got this humidity level, and the same humidity level kind of goes all the way up into Italy, parts of uh, Spain and France, and hits the UK. Um, so it probably doesn't have that. Because we had that, that's why we had so many infections. And then that line also continues all the way across. It's literally like the same humidity in those countries, all the way across to New York um, and uh, Seattle, and I think the top half of uh, America as well. So yeah, it, w- it wouldn't have the same effects there. But really? Yeah, the- that's a, that's a, that's a, is the humidity a, um, a big, yeah, a big in the transmission. Yeah. Definitely. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know anything about that. Yeah. Cause I, th- and the, the thing is though, we, as the UK, we, the UK government didn't look to Italy, didn't look to Europe where it was being hit. And Italy in itself was a prime example of the, the government trying to hush, hush things. Um, you know, th- this it was film... the fashion show, wasn't it? it? Was the big, like, that was like ground zero for Italy. Was it? Is it Milan where they have the fashion, well, fashion show? Week. Milan fashion, oh, fashion yeah. week. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Um, and they have a lot. They had a lot of. Well, the show must go on, darling. <laughs> the show Ooh. must go on. We cannot simply let a virus. I think, I think it was two weeks after that when Italy had their like massive surge in cases because. I yeah, think they yeah. have a lot Worldwide of people coming in and uh, out. Yeah, yeah, and predominantly Asian and Chinese workers oh. at the Milan Fashion Show. Interesting. I believe I just double checked the Taiwan COVID deaths. So they've had nine hundred and nineteen cases. Eight hundred and thirty-nine of them have recovered. Nine died. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. So yeah, so yeah, that was just uh, my thing about government's being inept and particularly ours uh yeah ours is 
It's crap, isn't it? It's just crap. Yeah. Cool. Right, let's carry on with the host. <laughs> with our host, Ryan Ryan Host. That was Matt Gower's comrade corner. <laughs> Thanks for listening. So, after the monster attack, um, obviously um, we had Hyungso, the daughter, she gets kidnapped and she gets taken to a kind of uh, concrete pit in the sewers. Um, and this virus is announced and the quarantine um, has started and a lot of the, uh, the family and a lot of other characters who have been uh, involved in the monster attack, get taken to a laboratory, to a holding place, um, and they receive a phone call. And the phone call, which uh, comes in in the dead of night, is from the daughter. She's still alive from her concrete prison in the sewers. And so they plot a way to break out. When I was watching this film, though, I have to admit, something that took me out of it a little bit and distracted me was just how how unarmed and how passive the korean authorities were yeah and how no one seemed to care about the giant monster but everyone seemed to give a fuck about the virus the virus yeah well it was it's a level of control isn't it but that, that was the whole thing it was to distract like the virus was a distraction right yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so they, they could be like oh look what uh like you know korea are fucked up they're mishandling it they're they're the reason why things have gone to shit let's you know Look at this shiny thing over here, this virus. Don't look yeah. at that monster that we accidentally created. Don't, don't look at the monster. Yeah, I I found it really weird how just easy it was for them to escape. Yeah, yeah. Really? Like, yeah. They just ran. Like, right. Where, they got in a car, didn't they, and someone else was already driving it? Uh, yeah, that bit, yeah. I know it got explained later that he'd, like, called some, he turns out he'd called some gangsters yeah. and sorted that out. Right, yeah, yeah. But it, it really confused me at first. It's like, so wait, what? Who are they? Where are they going? Who have they called? Whose fucking car are they getting in? <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> yeah, I really, really enjoyed um, the kind of silliness of the escape, and it kind of, I suppose, I suppose it took from what was quite an intense and um, quite tragic first Traumatic, half. Yeah, first, first you've seen some characters. Yeah. Um, Things started to get a bit lighter, I noticed, and a little bit kind of silly and, and whimsical um, in this part yeah. of the film, I thought. And I quite enjoyed that. I thought yeah. I thought that was where it was its strongest, actually, if I'm going to be honest. Mm. It's got this really cool, like, off, off-kilter humour. Yeah, totally. The, the bit that I couldn't... The bit that I found the funniest, and I was... what, And I found it funny because I felt like I shouldn't find it funny, was the bit when they are... In like it looks like a sports center or a gym, yeah. Um, and they see the picture of the daughter and all the pictures of all the people who've been killed by the monster, like this memorial thing, and they just like break down and are rolling around the floor, like screaming. This really melodramatic, over the top reaction, <laughs> and you're like, yeah, it is a, it is like a horrible thing, but because there's no nuance to it, it was so funny, and I think it was intentionally funny. Thing. Yeah, I. Must if be. it wasn't intentionally funny, it was bad. <laughs> and I don't think Bon Joon Ho is a bad director. No, I think he does just like to make. I think he likes to make weird, sort of humorous moments out of see, scenes that should be very dark and tragic. Yeah, it's yeah. like tragic yeah. comedy. Well, it, the scene, the scene which I was first laughing at. Well, well, at first I was actually laughing at the very first scene, just just that fade in from from the from the bottles to the lake. I don't know, there's just something about that. And, but there's just other bits with the characters. I think the main character is quite funny. 
he's quite slapdash, quite relatable, um, just in his actions, and you know, feels like a Disney character. You know, and there's like that <laughs> that one character they just kind of lead with their head. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I think that that's what these actors do so well. I don't, I don't really see it a lot in um in Western films. Actually, you don't see the same almost devotion to the character um as you do in this film and in parasite as well i really i loved watching uh these characters come to life in that way uh but i was also laughing at the the scene where the monster first uh comes up on land and uh, um the main character protagonist uh is is uh with with this kind of lamp post no it's a stop sign or something and he, yeah. he kind of picks it up and he was like how are you picking up concrete and but before <laughs> you even can think of that you know he, it's, it's more about the tension of the moment there's another character gets involved and it's very playful isn't it it is it is fun <laughs> yeah yeah i kind of almost wanted to see more of that like i think i think it tried i think it tried quite hard to be a stark contrast between those two between those two different um moods i guess playful and maybe scary maybe kind of tragic you have you both seen Snowpiercer? No, but I love the concept of it. Oh yeah, I've seen Snowpiercer. I've seen Okja. Oh, Okja is brilliant. Um, but Snowpiercer, like the opening scene, one of the opening scenes. It's not a spoiler, but if, do you know about Tilda Swinton's character in Snowpiercer? This really over the top. She's essentially Thatcher. She's in Snowpiercer. She's a, she is my favourite Tilda Swinton performance by far. Yeah, She's fucking amazing in it. And yeah, she's this northern like hospitality person who's essentially like the the boss. Not she's not the <clears throat> leader of the train. She's not the she's not Mister Wilfred. No. But they come to the tail section of the train and they punish some guy for I think stealing or something mm-hmm. by putting they stick his arm out the window uh, or not out of the window. It's literally like they have a specific hole designed to put someone's arm through. The whole film's set on a train, isn't it? And there's like a class yeah. within the train. Is, Matt, isn't that, that's the first time that you're aware that the that, that it's cold outside, isn't it? I yeah, think. yeah. So it's so cold outside. And obviously this train is going so fast that when yeah. they stick his arm out and it just freezes. Whoa. They bring the arm, like he starts screaming at first for like a couple of seconds. It's fucking horrible, and then he stops screaming because he's he's already lost all feeling in the arm. Oh my god! They bring it in and then they smash the arm with a hammer. Fuck! It's fucking horrible. But Tilda Swinton, oh, it's brilliant! It's okay. absolutely amazing. Right, that that was the it. first Bong Joon Ho film I saw. Okay. Um. It's very different. It's very, very different to... I don't even know if it is very different because my the reason I was connecting it is that Tilda Swinton in that scene is being so funny. She's horrible. Yeah. But she's like... It, it, she's so over the top over and top, yeah, ridiculous yeah. that you you want to laugh, but you're like, something really horrible is going on. I think the same about the death of Stalin, Armando Iannucci's film. There's a bit which is also fucking brilliant. There's a bit where the like the head of the KGB is giving orders to his soldiers, where he's saying like, "Oh, make sure you know you uh, kill that one. Um, you know, take away that one, put him in prison. Make kill that one. Make sure his wife sees it. Kill his wife. Make sure he sees it. All this stuff." But the way he delivers it is so funny, and you're <laughs> like, "I should not be laughing at this." <laughs> Yeah, this is so dark. dark. And it's so real as well, you know. Um, Yeah. 
especially with that, obviously, because yeah, it's based on truth. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I do really like being made to like being made to laugh in uncomfortable situations. Yeah, it's a good really way of dealing that. with un- yeah. uncomfortable situations. I found that about the Fargo, the whole Fargo the yeah. film and the series. I really like that about about Fargo is is the fact that you're yeah you're made to laugh in. It's a black comedy, isn't it? Yeah, the black comedy mm. genre, um, which I definitely think it creeps in a bit in this in this film. But like it doesn't. I don't know. I, I can tell that over time he's realised that that's one of his strengths and he's played to it more in his later films. But I think this one is definitely showing some really positive kind of, yeah, showing some 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 of that. But it doesn't quite doesn't quite use it in the way that it should do for like a I kind think of he's experimenting with thing. it here. Yeah, yeah I think yeah, yeah, it's quite light. It lightens up the tone. Yeah. This is the earliest of his films I've seen. I still haven't seen um, Memories of a Murder and mm-hmm. Mother, which mm-hmm. I know are very critically acclaimed. I do really want to watch them. Yeah, definitely. Do you subscribe to auteur theory at all? Do you believe that auteur, auteurs exist, especially in film? Auteurs being... So if an auteur director, would you would say it's someone who has a specific stamp on a film they they have a specific style they they oh, it's yeah, a signature yeah. this idea that you know oh if i'm going to see this film i know what i'm getting into oh i see like do i agree do i think that that is something that should be rewarded or i always was just like oh yeah they're an auteur that's brilliant but i listened to someone recently and i can't remember who it was some discussion i'm sorry if i can remember by the time i'm editing i will put it in but they were saying that auteur, auteur theory is bullshit because you can be an auteur artist because it's just you painting. You can be an auteur songwriter because it's just you writing the song. But if you're making a film, you've got a crew of hundreds, maybe thousands. At that point, oh, yeah. are you really an auteur? I don't know. I think you are, though, because you're, you're just organising people en masse, aren't you? Mm. The, the origins of the ideas generally come from you, I think. Yeah. Like any Tarantino film has obviously got a huge production value these days and loads of people you know working on it but it's collaboration isn't it yeah it's still someone's vision or it's a story it's um it's it's either directed with a person's vision in mind but i think to uh what's that ryan what's that artist called who uh kind of pays he did a shark and he kind of pays people to oh the formaldehyde the formaldehyde enthusiast um yeah, uh, Damien Damien yeah. Hurst. Yeah, Damien Hurst. Nineties, like, Props artist. to him. I mean, I I don't like his artwork. Props, props to him for just being like, oh, you know, well, why can't I use art like a business and literally pay people to create things? But yeah, it's the whole. Um, but then, who's who's creating the art if someone else is, you know, handling um, the production of it? But you know that just happened. Like, depends on what you what art is for you. Um, and you know, people buy print, so is you know, what's the huge difference there? And I, I personally don't have any problems with it as long as the art challenges or transforms the world that we live in. But if it is just, oh, I'm just going to print, copy and paste that, print it loads just so I can. Uh, you know, like a yeah, yeah. Let me just kind of. Let's get a convey about a shark, kid. We're gonna. Yeah. I'm gonna put some sharks in some pickling juice. Which I think that you know, happens a lot in the West with animation for for a start, but probably loads of other places. You know, fashion um happens all the time. Outsourcing and things. Um, 
it, yeah, I know, you know. I know a couple of people who have worked for Damien Hurst, um, and they've actually worked for him in London, and they've said that it's really quite. It's, they haven't enjoyed it. They said it's quite a difficult thing because you kind of sign our equivalent of an NDA, and you kind of sign like this thing, basically saying like, if I make anything in the studio, it's the intellectual property of Damien, and so yeah, even yeah. if he, if he wants to use it. Um, he can and he's basically yeah. taken techniques that the artists have brought to the studio and just claimed them for his own and just ripped them oh, off basically no. which is really difficult yeah fuck that that's not what you surely he just he that's just not an artist it. yeah well that's... no that is an artist but yeah he's just a, he, he's he's cornered the market i think what what needs to have happened is if you're employing people to make art then it's a studio and therefore yeah it's a collaborative place it's not yeah, have, a, a, have like a gallery you can name the gallery call it the damien hurst gallery but like yeah you can't you can't say it's your you can't take their ideas yeah. fucking hell i never knew that all i knew about <laughs> damien hurst was that fucking terrible crystal skull shit he did which is probably oh, the, the worst crystal skull in the history of art so opulent i do not like this person's art yeah i do not like his art He's a bastard. I, I'm going to go on record and say, Damien, <laughs> oh, Damien, God. if you're listening to this, if you're listening to this, you're a bastard. Four episodes in and our first rant is about Damien fucking hurts. <laughs> <laughs> but that is said, the 90s? <laughs> we're, we're talking about films and films are in themselves their production line. You know, you've got to yeah. start to finish. You employ people, you know, an art director to create art, which their art isn't theirs. So the arts for the film, and then therefore it's the intellectual property of the producers, possibly the the directors well, as the well. The studio, yeah. yeah so it is it is kind of similar to the Damien Hirst uh, factory. Definitely is, definitely is, and and the Andy Warhol factory and all the other kind of artists that do this. I think it's, but yeah, I think I definitely think that um, Bong Joon Ho definitely has a style that I've I've kind of noticed only through seeing two of his films. I haven't seen that many of his films and i'm already noticing a kind of slight style going on and i'm enjoying it i like it um but i'm always thinking about this idea of you know what if you're an artist what do you do do you try and constantly change what you're doing really drastically so it's unbelievably different every time or do you kind of um build upon it with every experience i think that might be the best option um but yeah i think the auteur argument like or the alter question. Um, maybe we'll come back to you for that one, Matt. Well, I was just going to give the actual uh, a definition of it because I I I think I said it pretty much how it is. But according to Wikipedia, an author is an artist, usually a film director, who applies a highly centralized and subjective control to many aspects of a co- of a collaborative creative work. In other words, a person equivalent to an author of a novel or a play. So it's this idea they have so much control that they're so meticulous. Like Scorsese, I know, sits in on his yeah, with um, Thelma Shoemaker, his, edit- his long-time editor. Edgar Wright is the same. Like Edgar Wright is one of the fucking... He is a prime example of auteur theory, especially in mm. his editing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is so meticulous. I would have to do that if I was making a film. I don't understand how you would. The editing's so vital. Every element is so vital. I'd want to. I'd want to like make sure it's all done the way I'd want it. Right. Editing is like the. I think not. 
I know I I'm not trying to blow my own trumpet, but I think other than music, yeah. sound design, not just music, sound as a whole, I think it's the most mm. important part of the film. Because if it's edited, so like, if it's edited badly, look at fucking Bohemian Rhapsody, which somehow won a fucking Oscar for editing. Suicide Squad. <laughs> oh god, the Suicide Squad editing. The guy who the guy who spends the entire film is he called El Diablo? The the guy who like conjures fire or Diablo. He spends the entire film saying how much he hates the rest of the Suicide Squad. And then at the end, he sacrifices himself and is like, they're my family, like fucking Fast and Furious. There is no moment in that film where he starts coming, like turning a new leaf or sort of changing his opinion of them. But at the end of the film, he's just like, yeah, I'm going to sacrifice myself for them because I love them. Well, for the past two hours, you fucking haven't. It is batshit crazy. I I loved it. That that literally that's the lowest that the bar can go for editing. And <laughs> just knowing that you know a team of uh, trailer uh, editors and designers took oh, over. Yeah. Just uh, yeah, it does make you aware of. Oh wow, maybe you can't. Yeah, it does make you aware of the the artist's process when it comes to films. And because it's a collaborative thing, you you need to be there to see it through um, if it was your idea in the first place. Do you know about that, Ryan? Like what actually happened with the editing of Suicide Squad? I know that they were so unhappy with the first version. They gave it to the trailer people because the trailer got the good. The trailer did well. It did well, yeah. <laughs> the, is that the, 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 the first? Well, it was, no, it was the first trailer got such a bad response. Oh, and then the okay. second trailer, which, which edited it, which, uh, no, the so first trailer weird. showed it as this sort of gritty, gritty film. I really, I was very excited so for Suicide I. Squad. I liked David Ayer. Um, he directed End of Watch, which I think is a, I think End of Watch is love one of the film. most underrated love films. We'll do an End of Watch years. episode. I love End of Watch. Really good. Oh, I'd love to rewatch that. As, as, that does found footage fucking excellently great performances and it was and yeah great cast i was like okay i'm definitely into this and that first trailer i was like i like it and then no one else did i thought interesting second trailer came out which had the panic at the disco bohemian rhapsody cover and everyone was like i am so into this and i went what the fuck are you on <laughs> what I, to be fair i just don't understand dc fandom dc fandom are begging for a four-hour cut of a Zack Snyder version of Justice League, all right? Justice League was a bad enough film as it was. Here we go. Here we go, baby. Sorry, <laughs> I'm on. Let's go. Let's get in. Justice League was a bad enough film, but to be fair, I wouldn't even say it was bad. It was just, it was just average. And they got in Joss Whedon. Obviously, tragedy happened to Zack Snyder, and they got in Joss. Joss Whedon, a fucking brilliant director who created the best television show that got cancelled, aka Firefly. They brought him in and he managed to somehow make something quite good out of Suicide... Not Suicide Squad, out of Justice League, which is a terrible characters, terrible actors. Well, not terrible actors, Ben Affleck's good. Anyway. And the people are like, oh, that shit. Do you know who we want to get in? We want to get in Zack Snyder... The guy who has not made a good film since Dawn of the Dawn of the Dead, which is his first fucking film. That's the only good film he's made. 
I'm sorry. It turns out we're ranting about a lot of people today. Damien Hirst and Zack Snyder. <laughs> I think I think Zack Snyder's known for like known for like making his films look kind of good, but they're quite over edited. They 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 look awful. They just they just straight up like copies of the comic st- book. But like, that's all he's good at. I like that though. Can I tell you what I love about this film is that from the very beginning, I, you kind of know there's if you if you know in, anything about this film, the host. Kind of know there's going to be monsters in it. At the the whole the whole first scene of the the central character is all just shot on that bay or the the bay, the riverside, <laughs> and there's this constant looming because it's all all these characters are in front of the river, and there's these shots where that in in the, in itself the river becomes a character because it's just totally. there and this tension building and it's so captivating to watch because you're like. Oh, and it does, it, 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 it's very, you know, it's in harmony with Jaws and how they build that up. And it's, it's you know, it's, good, it's coming, you know what's coming. And it's, the cinematography in this film is so captivating through character, through the settings. I loved, I loved even the scenes when they're in the office um, and the lighting in the office and how, how that plays out. I mean, like... They obviously watched The Matrix for um, Office Escapes, but holy crap, this one still felt like, <laughs> um, you know, fresh, an oppressive, yeah. an oppressive um, force on, our, on on the character. Yeah, it's fucking cool. I, li- I like this film. Thanks for, thanks for letting me talk about it, um, watching it in the first place. No worries. I want to talk to you about puddles. I want to talk to you about pandemics and puddles and sneezing. Um, I personally haven't heard anyone sneeze publicly or cough publicly in a very long time. I feel like it's very taboo. And in this film, there is a great scene where you sort of see a group of pedestrians hanging out about to cross the road. And there's a guy who's coughing, he's spluttering, he's sneezing, he takes his mask off. God forbid does he take his mask off. <laughs> and, he s- and he spits into the water below him, which is a puddle. And a car comes rushing by and this puddle then kind of comes up and gets splashed all over people. And everyone's like, oh, my God, the puddles are loving me. They kind of, you know, they've all seen this man. They've all been focusing on this man who's uh, coughing, spluttering. And and they react to him in such a way. And definitely at the start of the pandemic, I felt like that when I was in public and I would have a little bit of a sniffle or a cough maybe. Um, And, you know, kind of felt a bit prank, a bit paranoid that people were looking at you. I don't know if you guys have the same sort of thoughts and feelings and reactions. Yeah, definitely. When I first, when the pandemic first started, I'd stopped smoking and I was coughing more than I'd ever coughed in my life because my Why? body was like, get my body was like getting rid of all the shit that had been building up. Oh, in- uh, interesting. I think. And yeah, I was coughing loads. So I just couldn't really go out because I was, I knew that I didn't have, covid yeah no other symptoms i didn't ha- i hadn't been tested but i couldn't get tested uh so but yeah i just i just didn't go out because otherwise i just had to stifle in coughs and be like oh it's just a smoker's cough <laughs> you almost need like a disclaimer don't you you should wear a t-shirt saying it's just a smoker's cough it is really weird that you cough more when you quit smoking than when you do when you mm. are actually smoking i've actually have heard that before somewhere actually um about that but um this is just the body, the body purging your, the tar in your lungs. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm assuming so. I do think that, especially when I'm wearing my mask and well, 
my main problem at the moment with the mask situation is as as a specky four-eyed fuck when i go into the shop and especially if it's been really cold outside (laughs) i can say i am one i'm a four-eyed fucker When uh, when I come from outside, and if especially recently, the last couple of months where it's been absolutely freezing outside, and yeah. then like going to a shop that's slightly warmer, my glasses immediately steam up, and I can't uh, see a fucking thing. God, that sounds. And stressful. I just want to get out of that shop as quickly as possible, and I have to yeah. like lift my glasses up so I can double check that I've picked the right thing. But then, I'm. I'm not completely blind without glasses. I'm short-sighted. So I can see things up close. But at a distance, it's terrible. And uh, yeah, it's awful. And what annoys me the most is that the only people that I've seen who've worn their masks under their nose are people who don't wear glasses. I'm thinking, you think it's bad. Imagine not being able to fucking see, mate. Bastard. Walking blind. I'm walking blind. You're I'm walking not putting blind. my fucking mask down. I've got respect for people, <laughs> other than Zack Snyder and Damien Hurst, apparently. <laughs> Fuck those two. <laughs> Cancelled. <laughs> that was the laugh from, uh, from Suicide Squad. Oh, uh, if you apparently he's going to be in Justice League. <laughs> He's going to be in Justice League. What, Mr. Yeah, Mr. In, Jared in, Leto Leto himself? Mr. Jared, Mr. Jared Leto oh, himself, yeah. So you hear some stories about him on set. He sent Will Smith a uh, used condom in the post, I think. Yeah, and didn't, didn't he send Margot Robbie like a dead rat? <laughs> oh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I hadn't heard that one. Yeah, and it's just like, I don't, think he, I don't even think the Joker would do that. No, the Joker would do something way better. The Joker would send <laughs> yeah. some kind of... He was the Instagram. Know. On that film, though, he was the Instagrammable joker, wasn't he? He was like, yeah. I'm doing this for the gram. Pure gram. He was abs. He was gold teeth. I do really appreciate that he was a completely different joker. That laugh was fucking terrible. But I was very worried after Heath Ledger's joker that every joker we'd get after it would just be trying to copycat that. Yeah, I can understand. So when Jared Leto's one came along and it was completely different, I was like, well, I'm fucking glad. He went weird sort of TikTok gangster. TikTok gangster Joker. Yeah, he did. Yeah, TikTok gangster. That's perfect. If you look at the Joker as a film that uh, with Joaquin Phoenix, it comments mm. on society. And I, that is like, every time a film does that. I think it's a bit too on the nose, though, that film. Yeah, it... it, it um... What, sorry, Matt? It's a bit on the nose, it's commentary, Joker. I, yeah. I really enjoyed Joker, thought it was very good. Oh Wacky yeah, it's quite excellent. elaborate. It's, it's a comic book hash of a, of a commentary, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it's dealing with like, oh, it's basically just eat the rich. There's no, it's so, it's simple, but not in like the, when we talked about the one line in Parasite. But yeah, it's. I, I just think Joker's just. A, I again very much enjoyed it. Thought it was an excellent film. It's just its social commentary stuff about class divides. I just feel, felt was a bit ham-fisted. Yeah, I thought it, right in the host. Yeah, the 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 way they um the way that the the character the main character the protagonist what's it, what's his name? Do you, do you have a 
Do you remember? remember yeah, yeah, yeah. Park Gandu. So Park Gandu, the, the protagonist in this film, is driven to lobotomy purely from a phone call which he gets from his daughter who's trapped in the sewer. And that just paints such um, a very important picture, I think, of propaganda and the system shutting you up um, for truth. And then you, it's later revealed that um, that the virus in this film is a front. It is to cover up um, other things which the U.S. Army have put into into play in this film, and. And you just see the the terror in his eyes as as, as these things are happening because you know that he's had that phone call. You, as the audience, we know that this is like horrendous. Yet the tone of it isn't all too serious. It still feels quite light. And I wonder if that's uh, because it's so over the top that we know it's far from reality. Right. The lobotomy is such a kind of horrible, ridiculous thing to do to someone that we think it's yeah. you know. And it would, that would love, never happen anymore. I love the part in this film with the 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 US guy, and he's got this kind of a wonky eye as well, doesn't he? One of his eyes, mm. um, and and he's the one kind of saying like, "We've looked everywhere for the virus. No one's had any cases of any sort of symptoms or anything to do with the virus." And he's like, "So it's got to be in his brain," and you're just like, like his logic of it. It's ridiculous. So... It is ridiculous. Well, is isn't that isn't that him sort of pretending to like c- come up with a reason to give him the lobotomy? Yeah, pretty much. I think yeah, pretty yeah. much is. It's, it, but it's what is that? That's dark. Humor, well, that's bef- isn't it? yeah. That that's before just... he says it. Well, it's the bit when he comes in and they're like, "Oh, you got a call from your daughter. Why didn't you tell the police? Why didn't you tell the authorities? Oh yeah, he's a nice guy first. Yeah. He's like doing this nice guy front. And you're like, oh okay, interesting. And then yeah, and then they start saying, oh it's got to be. He's showing signs. He's definitely got the virus. He's showing signs of dementia. Yeah, everything that he's going through is this traumatic like experience. And like, oh yeah, like that's as a symptom of the virus. Mm. Yeah. Whoa. Don't you think that's yeah? Quite... Like he's setting it up. It's so fucked up. Super fucked up. Do you you guys know anyone? Like, obviously, we won't name names, but I definitely have. I'm definitely friends with a few people on social media that are like really, like, super skeptical of the the pandemic, the current pandemic we're in. Oh, so that is a cover up for Biden or something. All that sort of stuff, and I find it really fascinating. Obviously, it's like quite problematic and terrifying. Point of view, yeah. But it's also really interesting because they probably feel like this main character like all these kind of officials are kind of everyone's yeah. out to get them and they probably feel like really sort of like um like they're the heroes of their own movies because they know they know the truth about this pandemic and about covid19 and i can empathize with the fact that they probably feel like all these shady government officials are lying to them because that's you know that they haven't they haven't really given us a great track record have they to be honest but um mm, definitely Oh, it's just interesting. Do you know? Do you guys know anyone that's that, that's kind of in 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 the in the depths of the conspiracy theories uh, around this pandemic? After watching this film, I I I felt that the you know I felt like I, it was almost a conspiracy in itself. This film, um, but I don't know. It, it it led me just to think about the World Health Organization, and I mean like that's probably a factual place to go to. I'm not 100. Um, percent 
you know, looking into the conspiracy theories about who's involved and and where it came from, you know, I I personally don't, but there is a lot on the internet. Um, and every time I hear something on the radio, someone's like very passionate about this. They're they're very quickly overlooked, but I do find them that they're they're often they're looking for meaning in other things. And and when you kind of lend yourself too much to um, an alternative point of view or uh, you know something that which is out of this, and it's all, but it's to be the sake. It's like the, if I was saying, um, oh, you know, my perceptions change of the world because of mushrooms, because I took mushrooms, then I'm not, I'm not helping anyone really, am I? I'm just saying, I'm just stating a fact that mushrooms change your perception, as opposed to if I was saying, I helped people through this pandemic with this, then that's completely different because you're actually you're helping others and what you, what you mean are you, you know, saying are you saying like um what do you mean like like the conspiracy theory i don't understand what that how that's relevant <laughs> yeah, i know i kind of went off of one didn't i yeah i'm glad you said i, I went off on like two, two different i was thinking I am I on five directions <laughs> <laughs> not, to, not to you know not to you know try and try and call you try and I'm not I'm not saying that conspiracy theorists lead to like lay off the drugs but I'm kind of saying that if they're looking for answers in a place which isn't moving us forward yeah uh, okay. I feel like possibly you know a a vaccine um I mean I know people you know who have died from covid-19 they've had other illnesses and this 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 kind of writing it off as though it's a, a form of control i think is you know that's not you can't dismiss facts when you know that you know when you know people yeah um uh, and so it's it's almost a limiting point of view i think but we understanding those facts can't then limit ourselves by pushing that knowledge out the window so i'm happy to listen to anyone that says you know, here's here's a take on um, what's what's going on, what what Wuhan had covered up, because there was definitely um, factual information coming out from China at the time, wasn't there? That the government didn't want this to. But again, in in the host, that that's how they they portray a country kind of. It's like a layer. Of, down, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Trying to, trying to everyone, yeah. What about you, Matt? Do you, do you, what do you think about like the kind of the spread and just dissemination of, of this kind of information online and do you know anyone that's kind of sort of um in that engrossed in that world i don't think i person to be fair i don't really use facebook other than for simpsons memes and actually no it's really just simpsons memes <laughs> i know my mum has said that like someone that she's friends with is very much on the conspiracy it's a way of bill gates microchipping i just told her to message him saying you're right mate if you've got a smartphone and he went yeah she went you're already chipped fucker well she didn't actually say that <laughs> i would have said that <laughs> that would send him into a frenzy and panic wouldn't it you're already chipped fucker <laughs> i i think it was bound to happen that the internet as glorious as it is, is a fucking cesspit. It is a cesspit, an absolute cesspit. Yeah, it's quite far from reality in, in on occasion. So if you think 
you know, before the internet, there was definitely flat earthers. Let's take flat earther conspiracy, the flat earther conspiracy theory. Oh man, I love the flat earthers. There was definitely those people who existed. But when the internet came along, they could look, go on Google and they could look, search, is the world flat? And then they would eventually find a fucking Reddit post or a 4chan post where someone was saying yes. And then they're like, oh, okay, I found someone else who thinks the same oh, thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So clearly, I'm, I'm on to something. That's what Facebook and Twitter do, isn't it, with their algorithms? The confirmation bias thing. Mm-hmm. The internet is great in connecting us, but the problem is it's also connecting... No, I'm just going to say it. Fucking morons. It's limiting, <laughs> isn't it? It can limit... It's connecting people who, who don't want to look at actual sources and then looking at sources and... You know, Trump is a huge part of this, just discrediting any form of media that's against him as fake news. Yeah, just oh saying, just blanking sweet, sweet statements. Yeah, so I think that's the problem, is the internet. The fact that people can easily find someone else who thinks the exact same way they do and think that that means that they're they're onto something, that they're, they've found some truth. Yeah. I think the, the other issue... Well, not it's not even the other issue, but the main thing about conspiracy theories... Take the moon landing, for example. People thinking that Kubrick did it. And I'm like, well, have you seen the special effects for 2001 <laughs> Space Odyssey, which is 1967, I think? So two years before the moon landing. Special effect, that looks way better than the footage of the moon landing. The footage landing. of the moon landing is crap, isn't it? It it's is fucking terrible. It's like, it's though it's like they filmed it on the moon or something. It's crazy. <laughs> Uh, so I just googled. Well, oh, hang on, hang on. I haven't finished my point. Oh, sorry, Hang on. Here I am, off on one on the internet. So if the moon landing was faked, the amount of people that it would take to hold that secret and lie. Yeah. Pretty crazy. I can't remember what the theory is called, but it's, I think it's something about break. It's like breakdown theory. Basically, if that was true, we would have found out eight years after because of the amount of people involved eventually one person's going to crack or let it slip to one person who will then let it slip to two people then let it slip to three people the idea and that was in 1969 when the population was nowhere near as big as it is now if you think about 2020 or 2021 the amount of people that would have to be involved in this global conspiracy of a pandemic I, I can barely keep a secret by my fucking self, let alone between millions of government officials. Mate, keeping a secret's fucking hard. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. It kills you from the inside. I think I think secrets kill you from the inside sometimes. Oh, definitely. Um, especially if they're like, you know, quite serious ones. You can't win. You can't win, especially if it's a politi- political thing. You can't win. So, yeah, I think it's quite good that this is a foreign language film because... And it came out in 2006, because if it this came out fairly recently and was an American film, or at least an English language film, I think oh. Americans would have jumped on it. Well, not Americans, I think conspiracy theorists, COVID deniers would have jumped on it a hell of a lot more. Yeah. Oh, if this film came out today, yeah. Like, they would, they would, it would have given them more ammunition in their gun. Like if, like if it was reversed, like the nationalities were reversed. It would be a really divisive film, wouldn't it, if it was released today? Um, and it still is a little bit divisive, yeah. I think. Yeah, I really, I really like this film a lot. I think it's, I love a good monster flick. I love the Godzilla films. I love Pacific Rim. What, what didn't you like? Was there anything that was not cool? It was the CGI for me. 
the CGI. Yeah, <laughs> it, and it was, and I wish I wish that they showed the monster less. It's a bit plastic. Same. Too much monster. I will say I love the way the monster moved. Oh, on the bridge when he's like fucking swinging with with his tail like a fucking baboon. It is so cool. Oh, that's creepy. The tail really good, really good. That was that was crazy. I love that. For me, the worst part of this film was the ending, and again, it was you know it's, it features the um, it features the poor the poor little amalgamation probably of different species. I don't know what if you just want to call it a monster or what the um, the eastern term uh, would be kaiju. Yeah, this kai this kaiju at the end, how the it just it just becomes so. I get it. I get it. I get why they had to kill it off in that in that way. This kind of like. Did you almost want it to assimilate and kind of try and contact them and then kind of become friends with it in some way? Yeah, I wanted something other, just so that it wasn't just a satisfying ending for the people yeah. who wanted to see a monster like flick or a kaiju film. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But, but that's but that's probably a personal taste thing. I mean, like going I'm into the, I'm film, the same though. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, okay. I'm the same, and I think it might be more of an expectation of Bong Joon Ho. Pre, like based on his previous work, I found the the line that the dad says very early on when he says, "Oh, if an animal kills a son, or no, sorry, if an animal kills a human, no, you sh- you should tear it limb from limb. It's a mm. man's duty to do so." That's pretty hardcore, wasn't it? Yeah, that was very hardcore. And then that's how they sort of that's how it ends. He doesn't obviously tear it limb from limb. But when you look at Okja, yeah, it's like opposite of that. The exact opposite. Like, yeah. I remember watching Okja thinking, I'm so fucking glad I don't eat meat because I would be feeling absolutely terrible. It's the vegetarian film. If you if you have never considered the animal industry, uh, it watch Okja because it will yeah, it will totally. make you, it will make you look at animals and their place on our earth. And there's obviously some great documentaries about that stuff like cowspiracy um one of my favorites technically isn't a documentary it's simon amstel's carnage oh actually i don't want actually you know what i'm saving that i'm saving that that's gonna be a full episode but anyway (laughs) because that is fucking brilliant so good but yeah you've got cowspiracy carnage there's one called, I think, is it called Dominion? Yeah, the Australian that's, one. That's the Australian one. Oh, that God, one's Jesus savage. That one is like the first one I ever watched. I haven't seen Octra, I haven't seen Conspiracy, but that was the first like um, animal rights doc I'd seen. And you can tell by the, the title Dominion. It's just, it's just pure like abattoir. It's just a slow mo abattoir shots it's absolutely revolting relentless i think that's the problem and that's why people won't watch those things because they are so horrible and it's like well it is just showing what's going on yeah and you want to blind yourself to that people are afraid of the truth aren't they uh when, when it comes to that yeah totally it's this and i think that octa is very good because it's fictional it just talks about those film themes it presents them in this big way with you've got this Again, like with Tilda Swinton, you've got Jake Gyllenhaal as this really incredibly over-the-top character. I remember my mum watching it, crying at the end, uh, and I asked her, 
you know, oh, did you like it? And she was like, oh my God, it was so sad. I went, are you going to stop eating meat? And she went, eh. <laughs> it's this cognitive fucking dissonance people have. Like, my mum is a yeah. huge animal lover. Like, loves cats. Fucking hedgehogs. looks after hedgehogs. Exactly. Wonderful. Still eats meat and fish and, you know, animals. And it... Yeah, that is really interesting about your mum. She is the, the most passionate um, person I can think of, you know, when it comes to animals. Um, actually, I know a couple of horse... I've got a couple of horse girls on uh, on, on Facebook, actually. Oh, horse yeah. girls are another species. A couple of horse... Horsey horses. <laughs> no no um, offence, horse girls. No, no. I mean, like, horses are beautiful. <laughs> I saw a horse, actually, I saw a pony, a pony walking uh, wild once, and it was so beautiful, man. Uh, it was unbelievable. Wow. It is this weird cognitive dissonance. We'll definitely get into it because I'm 100% picking carnage at some point. God, what a film. Oh, but yeah, that, yeah. So I watched Oxford when I was already veggie. When I watched Car- Carnage, that was the closest I came to. I nearly became vegan. I was vegan for a good year. Oh, sorry. My voice broke. I was, <laughs> I was <laughs> yeah. vegan for a good, for a good year. And I still don't. I still don't drink milk. Uh, cow's milk. No, cow's milk is fucking disgusting. You drink. I'm sorry, like listeners. If you drink cow's milk in 2021, listeners, no. <laughs> uh, 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 you're fucking up, son. If you're drinking cow milk in 2021, get out. Get a new drink. Now. Just get a new drink, suck mate. The milk get a from new a drink. Pea or a nut. Pea milk. Suck it. Bam. Hemp milk? Have you ever had that before? Oh, hemp milk's a good one. My God, it's great for you as well. There's a lot of opportunities out there for us today. I'm, I value the information that we have. Otter. People otter milk. Um. And there's that thing is cows. I think what you've just said there, cow's milk, it belongs to the cow to provide for, yeah, its, for, for its, its car. car. Why, you know, if I was drinking milk of a woman, I would be frowned upon. <laughs> yeah. You gotta try it, son. It is specifically designed for humans. It's so weird, isn't it? If we drank, if we, we drank w- we'd breast be well milk strong, at our we? age, we would be condemned. But we'd be well buff. Like the <laughs> we wouldn't be buff. No, no. What I gather about breast milk is very watery. I don't think it. I wouldn't want to have breast milk. Cut it. <laughs> Cut this. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> so, Okja. The, my my main point is that yeah, Okja is just sort of looking at how human uh, humans' relationship with animals and this feeling of betterment and in, more entitled to to the earth and the planet. And I was kind of hoping the host would go in the same way, and it same. it does sort of devolve into this. No, it, we just kill it. We just yeah, we're just going to kill this monster. You know, even though it we created it, it's our mistake. It's something that we've done as like that our evolution has led us to do is to create this new form of life. But, you know, let's kill it because it's evil and it killed our daughter, even though... My mum was watching a nature documentary the other day where a millipede ate a lizard and she went, oh, it's evil. I went, why the fuck is the point? What is it with people saying that stuff in nature is evil the only evil thing in nature is man like we're the only thing that does bad things for no reason do people say that i don't know i don't know i don't know a lot of people that would say that nature's evil i think a lot of people that i know would be like would be like yeah it's just nature there are some dark darkness there's darkness in the world i think nate 
there's a natural instinct to survive uh that's that's probably where you know our assumptions come from determining whether what the intention was behind it or whatever the fact that as humans we can we're able to choose our actions um not based on purely instinct and and these things i understand that well have you ever seen the video of killer whales hunting seals yeah it's absolutely terrifying it is terrifying but it is one of the fucking coolest things I've ever seen. The yeah, level of really intelligence cool. that they show uh-huh. is just amazing. The way they work in a team. The way they work in the team. The way oh, that they're yeah. like, oh, they've essentially mastered physics. They're like, look, if we do this, we can create a wave that will then go over the ice float and knock them off. Like, that is that is insanely intelligent. That is human intelligence. Fucking hell. It's brilliant. If Listen, if you haven't seen a video of that, check it out it is it's really interesting i'm just annoyed yeah i'm annoyed actually that's the one thing i'm annoyed about in this film is the fact that they don't explore this monster further because they do that really well in uh, the metro series don't they i don't know if anyone's ever read or played the metro oh ethan's a big fan there are these kind of mutated humanoid characters called the dark ones um, and they serve as like the main antagonist in the first film, but they're really just trying to make contact. Spoiler alert: trying to make contact and trying to sort of like you were, you know, like you were sort of saying um, in, in conversations I've had with you, Isaac, about you know if, if 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 something was trying to make contact with us, who's to say it would be nefarious? It might might be kind of a little bit more peaceful, um, pleasant, but, yeah. And you know, arrival obviously having that very. Um, interesting kind of tense sort of first half where they're not quite sure what the intentions are of, of, of the alien species but this film there's a part where there's 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 a moment or, or at least a few scenes where the monster takes people and it sort of drops them off into this into this sort of uh part of the sewer, the sewer yeah. it's sort of keeping them there and they're and some of them are oh, alive wow. And I was sort of thinking, like, like, oh, is what's he going to do? Is he is he eating these people? Or or, 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 we don't even know what gender the monster is. I saw it sort of as very intriguing. Pennywise in it, this like, oh, not well. Obviously, it's also in nature, you know. Oh, I've got all this energy now. Let's use this energy to get all my food, so that when I don't have energy or I need to hibernate, blah blah blah. I have this supply of food. Ah, interesting. That bit where he spits out, they're waiting to see what he's going to spit out, which human he's going to spit out, and he spits out one skull. Yeah. And then it's just a, and then afterwards, it's just a fucking sea of bones. Is incredible. It's a horrible scene. Uh, It's horrible, but Uh, that was like a horror element for me. Yeah. yeah, Whenever you see that. Um, But when when the, the the kid she tries to escape. And just the, and that monster, the the kaiser is just there, one step ahead of her, with the tentacle pulling her, and just placing her like she's some sort of literally like food, and you're just like, wow, whoa, what are these intentions of this monster? Like, is it's, it's clearly just primal it, food, isn't it? It was feign, it was feigning sleep, wasn't it? It was like pretending to be. A, yeah, I was I mean, quite confused at that bit. At, at first, I thought it was like its tail, not its tail having an independent reaction, but 
like, oh, something's jumped on me, I'm going to pick it up, and then she sort of relaxes and it lets her go. Yeah. So I thought it was still asleep. Uh, yeah. But then you realise that, no, it was just faking it all along to try and coax her out. You're like, ooh, this is a, this is a smart boy. Whilst we wish that the the monster had been developed and maybe the intelligence or an aspect of it had turned possibly good, um, uh, the ending for me, yeah, it, they just, it just seemed like they wrote that one line in for the older guy to say so they could justify it being killed at the end. Yeah. But if it was created by man, let's say it was, it's a metaphor for man's creation of ignorance, um, possibly even, uh, you know, you could link it to pollution directly. Oh, you know, yeah, totally. Is, is it? But then, how do they, how do you tackle pollution? Do you burn it? Do you, you know? Like, it's very what, similar what... to Godzilla because Godzilla obviously was nineteen fifty four. 1955. Oh, fact check. If I'm, I'm pretty sure it's 54. But that was just Japan making a film about the atomic bomb and the effects of the atomic bomb. Mm. And they presented it in the form of a, a big monster film. I know Akira Kurosawa made a film a few years before that that was about the effects of the atomic bomb, but it was literally about the effects of the atomic bomb. It was yeah. set right after the people in it, and it did not work in Japan. People were like, it's too soon. God. Yeah, talk about it. What then, a horrible thing. You, uh, yeah, you, you have to talk I, about I've, I've had a friend who went to Hiroshima, and he said it's one of the most un, like eye-opening and unsettling places that you can go like to just see what humanity have done. For me, jump. like you always see images of like um, of the the blast itself, but I don't know if you've ever seen an image of the shadows that the blast has created of the, the silhouettes of the people. Yeah, um, oh. that's the that's the real kind of ghostly part of it um, that you kind of, for me anyway, really kind of let me think it's about. Fascinating. It. It's fascinating. I personally wouldn't want to want to go there because you almost want to create like the new world that you want to create positive things but you, you know honoring it i think yeah but you also need to, you need to look at our mistakes like this sort of links to the whole you know statues of slavers in bristol and this stuff it's not saying oh we need to get rid of them completely it's not erasing history it's making sure that we're looking at history through the right lens oh yeah definitely I would like to go as just a reminder of what we're capable of mm. and a reminder of, you know, don't do this fucking shit again. Don't do that because it'll cause horror. And yeah, that's what we, we don't. I don't feel like as a society we look to history enough. I think we're just we're very amicable about our history and we're just like, oh, yeah, like that happened. We were over it. No, we're not. We're I, still, I we're didn't still learn about our, our history, like what we actually did, until after I stopped taking history. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Really? You know, yeah, when I started looking it up myself. Mm. You know, you want to... Yeah. I, I loved history. It's, it's one of my favourite subjects. I think it's just very badly taught in school. It is, yeah. It's, 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 very, it's very ethnocentric. I remember when I started doing sociology in uh, A level, and we would just 
like we had a whole module on the education system and it was so critical of it i couldn't believe we were being taught it it was critical of the education system yeah yeah well it's it looks at loads of different viewpoints and some of them are very critical but the majority of the critical ones are very are much more valid than the others <laughs> yeah and it says you know te- we've got like, an ethno test and that yeah yeah we've got an ethnocentric curriculum we only focus on white british history and we only focus on the good white british history yeah none of the i i it's only through the internet that i've yeah. learned about the awful things that uh, british history have done because you think about, oh, you, we occupied this and that. As a kid, you're like, oh, cool, like, it sounds like a nice thing. And then it's not until, you know, you start to look at it objectively as a human as opposed to a British citizen or, you know, someone, a child. And you're just like, we're, you know, we're no different to other countries of, you know, past historical events. That are- yeah, the colonial impact. I know what you mean. I- it's interesting with the with the statues you were saying, Matt, and like the idea of um, what you do. Interestingly, this is just a fun fact before I go on to my main point, but there is a statue of the kaiju monster in the host um, on the Han River. Um, oh, wow. Uh, which is quite funny. Nice. But anyway, that is cool. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, there's a statue of Godzilla in Japan as well. Is there? Oh, amazing. I'm, I love I'm statues. I'm pretty sure there is, yeah. I hope it's life-size. <laughs> well, most I, uh, my favourite is the statue of Paddington in Paddington Station. That's very cute. That's oh, awesome. That's, that's, awesome that's, content. that's a cute one. Ooh, I'm going to pick Paddington one time. <laughs> We're not fucking doing Paddington. I am. Have you my not foot seen down. Paddington or Paddington Two in particular? Oh, what a film! What is a fucking it film! It's okay, it is. It is one of the. Oh no, yeah. I'm willing to watch it. I'm not necessarily saying I'm willing to enjoy it, um, but I'm willing to watch it. <laughs> I saw Paddington 2 in Paddington, not in Paddington Station, but in that area of London. It was very surreal. <laughs> Paddington in Paddington, baby. What I was going to say, actually, is the idea of... I'm really into the idea of um, ha- like haunting statues with the past, like not necessarily taking them down, although that's kind of um, not something I'm completely adverse to, depending on the depending on the sort of context. But like um, the idea of like telling people who this person is and giving all of the information instead of being like this is edward colston he donated x y and z he made this much money for x y and z like let's let's have a plaque with the actual this is what he did he was involved in the slave trade let's allow people to put graffiti on the statue and haunt it visually and and not let it forget its past um, I think that's quite a nice way of doing things. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. I think that, like you know, it is, it is a very tricky subject, especially with Edward Colston, because he essentially built Bristol with his money. Yeah, yeah. But you need true. to acknowledge where that money came from on the statue, just being like, look, this is Edward Colston. He donated lots of money. He created the economy of Bristol. He made it what it is today. But his money came from the slave trade. Yeah, and there's the argument. Well, you need to go through the official channels to tear it down. People were going through the official channels for fucking years and not getting anywhere with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. Eventually, you know, you need a visceral sort of primal response. It wasn't yeah. like anyone got hurt. It was just Very the will true. of the people. Very God, true. I love that video. What a good video. Yeah, I mean, there was a really good meme, which was um, David Hockney's "The Splash." Um, but someone had replaced well not even replaced they just added Edward Colston kind of going into the water um, in the style of David Hockney 
I really like that. It's a really good yeah. image. So the host. If I was to sum up the host in three words and give it a, a number out of ten, I would probably have to go for skeptical, formaldehyde, <laughs> warfare. Hmm. And I would give it a seven. A strong seven point five out of ten. Interesting. I'm gonna go number first because I haven't thought of the three words. I agree. I would give it a strong, a very strong 7.5. Very near an 8. I think if the CGI was better, or if I'd have seen it in 2006 when I was 11. Oh, look at you down in that oat milk, you dirty boy. You good boy. I fucking love oat milk. Anyway, we've already already had this discussion. Uh, Three words. Cynical. Weirdly funny. I like it. I thought you were going to push your luck there with an extra one, but you didn't. I'll take it back. I can fucking think of one. <laughs> Isaac? I like this film. It challenged <laughs> <laughs> You've logged out. You've logged out mentally. It challenged... It challenged... Um, <laughs> challenged and it, I think it allowed me to grow in a pandemic. Three words, baby. I'm just, you know, this is a conclusion. It's a soliloquy to this film about um, a false pandemic and... Let an artist be an artist, Ryan. Jesus Christ. Right. You know, so... Talk about a tight ship here. Three words is question the facts. (laughs) (laughs) And And what an ending. No, no, that's a four. Fuck off. (laughs) <laughs> and and I'll rate it out of ten because I, I don't think I've done that yet, or I could have done. I can't remember. Uh, I'll give it an eight and a half, you know, because I had a lovely time watching Ooh. it up until the end. I probably I could have walked out of the cinema at that point, but or closed my eyes. That's the thing. If you if I was with other people at that point, I'd just be like pop put my hands over my eyes or just talked about something else because I'd be like, oh, okay, I don't need... This is not relevant for me. But, um, you know, films aren't always going to, you know, do that. And um, if they break the fourth wall in any way to alert you to your current situation, then that is true art. Well, I have not been your host today of this podcast. Um, watching the host with your host ryan host thank you very much isaac thank you very much matt thank you very much bong joon ho for the lovely art um and next week i'm going to pass you over to matt for a little discussion about what we've got coming up so next week we're finally going to talk about something a bit closer to home than seoul and seattle as we're going to dive deep into the best british comedy ever made that's right folks it's time to visit good old mark and jez because next week it's peep show So thank you for listening and we hope you'll return next week. See ya.